what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks again for listening. I am talking with Nicole Janetta. She is the founder and owner of Heritage Acres Market. And she, I guess, raises and sells chickens, uh, beekeeper, focused on natural living, uh, spinning that into a blog for hobby farming. Also a firefighter in Pueblo West, near where I grew up. And Nicole, thanks for taking the time this afternoon. I appreciate it, and it's great to talk to you. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. So chickens, beekeeping, and firefighting, what did you want to start with? (laughs) (laughs) Whichever direction you'd like to go, none really ties to the other too well. (laughs) Well, let's start with the chickens because uh, I have a friend that has a farm kind of way out east here and I went out and oh, cool. we had um, goat milk and chickens that were um, processed that morning and eggs and it was just amazing. I was like, I need to learn how to get chickens closer to me because it was night and day difference in terms yes. of the taste. And yeah, so how'd you get into chickens? You know... <laughs> So I actually grew up in Falcon, which when I went to school there, nobody had ever heard of the place before. There was a PDQ gas station and a bank and that was it. But now it's like a booming metropolis. But um, so I kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere and uh, we had chickens growing up. My dad, I guess, was, um, you know, kind of into that kind of stuff as well. So it was something that, you know, was kind of um, familiar from my childhood. So as I got older... I ended up, um, you know, buying a house and all that stuff. And so naturally I had to get some chickens. So, um, yeah, the re- it kind of uh, snowballed from there and then led into the whole hobby farming and then spread into the beekeeping and all that. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of um, just something from my childhood, I guess. So when one raises chickens, how many mm-hmm. do you have at any given time? Well, there's this fun little thing called chicken math. And, um, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, yes. It's, it's a legitimate thing. So it doesn't really matter how many chickens you start out with. Most people start out with probably four to 12. But by the time you're done, you're going to have significantly more than that because they're kind of addicting. Um, <laughs> like tattoos. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's called chicken math. It's, it's the struggle is real. But um, so... <laughs> So depending on how many eggs that you want to have is kind of how many chickens people end up with. You don't get an egg from a chicken every day. So if you're wanting to be able to, you know, cook a four egg omelet or whatever every day, then you should probably have six or so chickens. Um, but like I said, it, you're, all, it, you're just going to end up with more. So it doesn't really matter. Okay. And so what's different about like a farm fresh egg versus say, and I'm not trying to slam the grocery store, but something that you would find in in a grocery store. Cause do you have to refrigerate them? I had heard that you, you don't have to, or you need to. And I, again, totally ignorant. And I'm actually trying to learn this for my own benefit here. So there's actually a ton of differences. So um, to start kind of small, I guess. So the chicken eggs that you buy from the store, generally speaking, they're white. And that's because they um, process the the eggs and they candle them, which is where they, you know, shine a light through the egg and look oh. for any flaws inside. So fun fact, that's why most of the eggs are white. But by the time you get an egg from the grocery store, it's usually several weeks old. Um, so they're not very fresh. And then to top it all off, in most commercial farming applications, the birds are stuffed in tiny little cages they have most of their beak cut off so they can't peck at each other they're fed you know poor quality feed that's purely meant to just increase egg production and do nothing for the actual health of the bird so the eggs um you know really come from malnourished poorly housed birds and and like i said they're several weeks to a couple months old by the time you get them so with 
um, you know, to the typical backyard um, farmer, it depends on different um, methods of raising them. But they're at least fed a better quality feed than the commercial whatever. A lot of people will let their birds out to go run around and frolic. So they're getting, you know, bugs and grass seeds and whatever other natural tidbits that they find around. Um, and then the eggs, of course, are fresh. They're usually from, from that day instead of super old. Um, and so as far as refrigerating, if you technically there's some laws regarding, um, you know, proper egg storage and the proper way to store an egg, of course, is to collect it, wash it and refrigerate it right away. But um, if we're not talking about, you know, the purposes of reselling (laughs) to, to, you know, for your own consumption, I suppose. Um, I leave my eggs out on the counter for usually two or three weeks if they last that long, because um, I, you know, usually they get eaten well before that. But when the egg is laid, there's a layer of bacteria called a bloom on the shell and that protects it from, you know, spoiling basically if you think about it chicken lays her eggs and she sits on them for about 21 days before they hatch so the eggs are meant to be able to last for you know 21 days or so unrefrigerated so as long as they're not washed and they stay room temperature then you can leave them out on the counter so if it's super cold that morning you know if it's like let's say it's 32 degrees outside, then you would want to put those eggs in the fridge. But if it's a mild temperature day, you can still leave them on the counter. But as soon as eggs are either washed or refrigerated, then they need to stay in the refrigerator. Okay. So I'm going to ask some chicken um, <clears throat> husbandry questions here. Sure. Because now I'm, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> So... Uh, a hen lays an egg, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then if it's uh, for consumption, it has not been fertilized by a rooster. Is that correct? Not necessarily. So okay, good. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, um, of course, a lot of debate. I see this one all the time. Fertilized versus fertile. So, of course, all eggs are fertile because they have the hen's genetic half. Um, for you know production of a new life so if somebody has a rooster then there's pretty good chance that the egg will be fertilized Um, of course you know the rooster contributing his part of the scenario so um a lot of people side note think that oh my gosh if i have a rooster i can't leave my eggs on the counter because next thing you know i'm gonna have baby chicks running around not the case. So even if you have a rooster, um, you can still leave your eggs uh, unrefrigerated, assuming they haven't been washed and stayed at that temperature. But um, I got off track here. So, <laughs> um, well, I'm so following. no, you're good. You're okay. good. I'm totally <laughs> so yeah, just because they're sold does not, for consumption, does not necessarily mean that they are unfertilized. Okay. So is there sort of a, a, like a, a continuum between like an omelet egg and then an egg that's got a chick in it? I mean, what is that? Because and I honestly have no idea how this all works. Like, sure. No. Kind of like animal magic. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little. Uh, so the only um, real, I guess, kind of variation between the two um, eggs that are meant to be hatched um, or, or incubated, they need, they have to be unwashed pretty much or washed in a special way to not damage the bacteria. Because if you wash it improperly, then you could kill the, the, it's not, there's no baby at that point in time, but you could, they wouldn't hatch. You could damage the, the likelihood of them hatching. Okay. So, um, they, to, then they, oh my gosh, let me try that again. They also need to be uh, no more than about seven to 10 days old. After about seven to 10 days, the hatchability of an egg is pretty much non-existent. Sometimes you can hatch one as old as two weeks. Um, but 
if you're getting eggs to eat, obviously it doesn't really matter how old they are within reason, but um, to have to incubate them, they need to be unwashed and at least, or no more rather than seven to 10 days old. So I knew a little tidbit about like if there's a red dot on the yolk, what does that mean? Um, so I'm not, it can, it can mean a couple different things. I guess I, you, you would have to like have a picture and say specifically, what's this one? So sometimes you get little spots on the yolks. Um, there's, is a possibility that it could be, you know, the start of a, a partially incubated egg, mm. but also sometimes, um, you know, the egg goes through some, um, body systems before it gets a shell on it. So it starts in the ovary and it, and it goes through the oviduct. So sometimes along the way it can pick up, um, they're called meat spots, but it's just like a little piece of tissue that is on the yolk and then it gets encapsulated with a shell. Um, but it's just kind of a normal thing. So that's where with the commercial eggs, with they candle them, if they would have find something like that red spot, they would just pitch them. They, they wouldn't sell them. They would give them for like a, a pig feed or something. Okay. Um, so it, but it's most of the time just the normal, just the normal variation, you know, N- not the, everybody thinks these eggs are all perfect and uniform like the ones you buy at the store. And in real life, there's a lot of variations with eggs. <laughs> but bottom line, I can still eat it and I'll be fine. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's, that's I get I them have. all the time. <laughs> So at what point did your, um, your, your personal hobby of raising chickens start? Um, um, I'm li- I was going to make like a really bad egg pun, Uh-oh. but <laughs> I will spare you that. When did that, when did that start um, becoming an idea for a business for you? So I actually kind of started the business because I was getting a little bored. I suppose. Um, so working at the fire department, sometimes when I started this anyways, this isn't really the case anymore, but there was times where we weren't as busy as others. And I kind of just wanted something to fill the time. Um, I was finally done going to school and, you know, we work for 24 or 48 hour shifts and I don't really like to watch TV and I can only read so many books. So I originally just started the website as um, it's just like I said, something to, to pass the time. And then um, then the more I started doing that and the more I started, um, you know, working with my own chickens, then of course I wanted more chickens. And so then that kind of helped propel the whole business thing. So they kind of just fed off each other. Um, but that's, that's when it kind of became a business, uh, uh, is really just out of boredom. And then I, and then I liked it a lot more than I expected. So I wanted to grow it from just having a blog and sharing some pictures on Instagram to kind of, you know, helping people more and, and answering questions and, um, educating people that might be interested in chickens and beekeeping and, you know, everything that's related to it. Well, and I love your logo too. You sent me some of your oh, stickers. You. That's the uh, the the chicken that's got the Colorado flag design yeah. in there. And so, I've shared those with some people around the country, and I think they get awesome. a kick out of them. So it's 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 a really cool design. Thank you. And, and I think, at least based on my experience with uh, a, a lot of different things, not necessarily farming or uh, raising animals, but it could be home improvement or podcasting as a, as an example is that when I come into it with like zero exposure, it seems so overwhelming with all the details and thinking about there's probably like, I think with any new venture, like 10 things that if the average person knew like little insider tips or secrets that it'd be a a lot easier, a lot more accessible. And so I'm thinking about like gardening or, raising chickens and like, you know, that'd be really cool to have, you know, a couple of chickens and fresh eggs and, and then spin that into a garden and, and all that. And it's just, 
I guess my, my point of bringing that up is like, just, you know, watch some YouTube videos, talk to some people. If you're curious, just don't Absolutely. automatically assume that it's going to be overwhelming and time consuming and expensive and complicated. Cause a lot of things are just kind of like, yeah, you, know, you have somebody points you down the right path and it just, it expands and it's, it's really not that bad. Right. Yeah. It's, it's easy to, um, you know, make it more in your head than what it really is. But I mean, realistically, a lot of things are, are much more simple. And I think just human nature is to overcomplicate things, which is, you know, most of the time unnecessary. And I think it just comes from um, a lack of, you know, understanding or some confusion. And so then you're like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming and I need so much stuff, but um, definitely not not the case. Easy to blow things out of proportion and make mountains out of molehills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was doing that this afternoon with some uh, goal setting and some planning and I was like, oh, okay. And I just was spinning out of control with some stuff and it's like, okay, mm. hold on. Just ask a couple of questions, get some research. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so then where did, uh, where did bees come into the picture? Um, so, not only is there the little chicken math thing, but chickens are kind of a gateway drug. So you start out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your t-shirt right there. Nicole. <laughs> yeah, that's, that should be, that's a good one. I like it. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to, I'll have to make one. <laughs> but, yes. um, that I can help you with. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, um, you know, you start out with, with a couple chickens and next thing you know, it just, spirals out of control but um i had when i was growing up my mom worked at an elementary school and one of her co-workers had um some bee a little bee farm thing i don't remember what she called it um where what her actual business name was but she was pretty um she she actually sold quite a bit of honey so she was kind of a largish scale for the area but anyways, um, I had always wanted to go see her beehives. I always thought it was super cool. She always had like little bee things on her desk and she was totally, that was just her life. So it was something that I wanted to, to learn more about and I never got to go see them. So I felt like I had spent most of my life wanting to know more about bees and never got to experience it. So again, fast forward, you know, 20 years later. And I have a house and two acres and I got chickens and I was like, you know, I kind of, I want to check, check out the bee thing. Uh, I didn't know anything about bees. So I took a little local class and then I asked my husband for a beehive in a, for Christmas. So of course it's the middle of winter. You can't get bees then, but he bought me the actual wooden box thing. We have a, a gentleman that makes them locally and um, then the following spring, I went out and I catched, I catched, I caught, wow. The following spring, I caught, <laughs> I, I caught a, a swarm and put them in the box and was pretty much instantly addicted. And so now, now I love bees and I want everybody else to love bees. Okay. Hold on one second. So sure. You just don't go out. Well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> how does one find a swarm and how then do you capture a swarm? I, that <laughs> I need, I need a lot more context on that. Nicole. That's <laughs> so uh, a swarm to start is a, okay. So like a queen bee doesn't just have like a little baby bee and send it out into the world and say, here, start your own family, right? So a bee colony splits and sends about half of the bees along with the original queen out into the world to make a whole new colony. So that's what a swarm is. It's a queen and a bunch of worker bees that are looking for a new home. So usually they'll kind of clump up in, in, in a tree or a bush or a side of a house and they kind of hang out there until they find a tree hollow or you know an opening in a building or somewhere that they decide that they want to be their new home so um this usually happens around our area like late april to early may this is actually starting to get into swarm season here and it goes until about 
July, maybe August. Um, but it's super obvious when people see them, it's like, oh my gosh, there's this like softball to basketball size group of bees that are in my tree. I don't know what to do. So anticipating swarm season, I had put out several ads on Craigslist. I had contacted some of the local gardening centers and just kind of put the word out there. And I think I put some stuff on Facebook too, some of the local um, Facebook groups. And I ended up getting a call from a gentleman that lived in one of the older parts of town. And he had a swarm of bees in his tree. And he called me and he said, there's all these bees. I saw you posted on Craigslist. Do you want to come get them? And so I said, sure, I'll be right there. And uh, drove into town. And it's actually super easy because so they're, they're homeless, effectively. So they don't really have anywhere to go at the moment. And they're not going to leave their queen. So you can just uh, take like a bucket and put it underneath the branch or whatever that they're hanging on. And you shake the branch really hard and they all fall into the bucket. And you put a lid on the bucket and you take them home and you go put them in your beehive. <laughs> so it's just that easy. <laughs> <clears throat> and are you wearing the full uh, beekeeper suit, the hood and the, the all that? Or are you just... Um going in like like the bravest and then <laughs> yeah get so, me some bees. <laughs> no I uh I don't like being stung particularly and then of course I'm uh try to avoid getting stung to reduce my likelihood of uh future anaphylactic reaction super uncommon super rare but I like to at least err on the side of caution on that sure so I wear a full bee suit um also, because if I don't wear a full bee suit, because this has happened before, and if I get stung in the face and my eyes swell shut, then I miss some time off work, which is unfortunate as well. So I try to keep myself uh, pretty, pretty wrapped up. But Mitigating generally, risk, I like that. Yes, yes. Generally speaking, though, the bees, uh, the swarms, again, feeding off of the whole their homeless thing, they don't have a territory to defend. So they're generally super passive. So I always tell people that call me if they find a swarm, don't panic, don't don't freak out. I mean, I wouldn't like go super close and take a picture of them, but they're not dangerous when they're in a swarm. They're full of honey because they ate a whole bunch of honey before they left so that they can build a new home and um and they don't have any anything to protect. So swarms are generally very docile and they don't really sting if ever but i still wear the bee suit because i like to be safe that makes perfect sense and then once you have them back at your your house are they then gonna look to leave again no so they they want to move somewhere that's that's why they swarmed is to find a new house so I go put them in a nice little house that's got everything that they need. So they say, hey, this is pretty okay. And most of the time they just say thanks and make the high of their home. On some instances, I've had, I think, maybe one or two swarms that for whatever reason just didn't like the box that I put them in and they took off and I had to catch them again and put them in the box again and then they stayed the second time. But um, usually the hive meets all of the requirements that they were looking for. So they just stay. So what makes a a good hive or a a bee? You call it a hive when you build it, right? Yeah. So the colony is the actual living members of, of, you know, the group of bees. And then the hive is the structure that they live in. Got it. And then what makes a, a good living space for bees so that they're going to stick around? What do they like? So I'm actually a, a student of uh, Cornell University has an online master beekeeper program. And we actually just covered this topic. So let's see if I can remember all of the requirements. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like just last week. So the ideal home for a swarm is... Um, I don't remember the exact measurements. I think it was like 40 cubic inches, but basically the dimensions of one hive box. So if you look at hives and they're usually multiple boxes stacked on top of each other. 
So the minimum requirements would be one of those boxes, a deep box, there's a, a deep and um, a medium and a shallow. So obviously the deeper ones are the bigger ones. So I think it's 40 cubic inches, maybe. And um, so that size, they, if they're looking for like a wild tree, they want the opening of a hive to be at least um, or around six to 12 feet off of the ground. Okay. Uh, they want it facing south, east or south, to get early morning sun and protection from wind. And they want the opening to be small. Um, they don't like a big opening because it's easier to protect a smaller opening. So that's, you know, obviously for a tree, that's all good and well, but I'm not going to go put my beehives up 15 feet in the air because that's what they like. So, <laughs> so, so when you catch a swarm you'll, and you put them in the box, um, I like to add a, a frame, which is the, the wooden piece that the actual beeswax, the honeycomb is in. So you put one of those in there so that it smells like a beehive and sometimes it has some babies in there and they'll, they'll stay to take care of those. So that kind of helps anchor them to the, to the actual hive that you put them in. Cool. And then are do bees, what do they do in the winter? So a lot of people think that they hibernate, but that's actually not the case. Um, in the winter, well, let me rewind. So the whole reason that bees even make honey to begin with is so that they have winter food stores. Um, and they, they do eat on it during the summer as well. But they stockpile it for the winter. And honey is a high carbohydrate food. So in the winter, what they do, the queen will stop laying eggs um, and they will huddle up on the days that it's especially cold outside and they'll kind of um, kind of cluster in a, in a bit of a ball with the queen in the middle and they shiver their wing muscles to generate heat. They keep the inside of the hive in the mid-90s. No and, kidding. Yeah. So not necessarily the whole hive itself, but the, the, the cluster that they're in stays uh, in the 90s. So obviously shivering creates um, heat and, and it's a lot of work. So they will take turns shivering and then they eat the honey that they created to help, you know, uh, for, the, for the carbohydrates so that they have the energy to keep the colony warm, the cluster warm. That's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, Bees are really incredible creatures. They're, the more I learn about them, the more fascinated I am by them. Well, there's nothing wrong with everybody serving the queen either. Exactly. Right? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, if all men thought that way, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> the world would be a better place. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I think you're onto something. <laughs> Wow. So it, it reminds, I saw um, March of the Penguins a while mm -hmm. ago and they would just be in their little circle so that, you know, they, they rotate in and out and then there's yep. not always one penguin freezing his ass off. Right. <laughs> that 90 degrees, that's bonkers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And if you think, you know, just those little, little insects can, can work together to generate that much heat. It's really kind of impressive. Wow. And then, the the hive um how much honey is that going to produce you know in in a month or you know in a year like how much how long does it take um i'm just blown away by this i'm so <laughs> fascinated so are you production like during the summer or um i don't think i entirely understood your question oh yeah sorry i guess um so like one hive how much honey would you get in i guess summer peak production okay. season yeah so it's, it's pretty variable. Um, so there's a lot of factors involved. The population of the hive has a lot to do with it. Obviously, the more workers that you have, the more honey that can be produced. Um, drought and natural conditions have a lot to do with it as well. Um, if, it, if it's dry, then there's going to be less plants to forage on. But at the same time, if it's raining all the time, then the bees aren't going to be able to come out and go foraging. Um, and then there's 
a lot of diseases and things that can impact the bees, pesticides and things. So even if there is a large number of bees in a colony, if they're impacted by some of those diseases, um, then they're not going to be as effective foragers. So in our area in Southern Colorado, on a good year, you can expect to get between, I would say, 50 to 100 pounds of honey that you can harvest from the from the colony and you want to leave them about 50 pounds of honey so that they can 50 to 100 pounds of honey so that they have the food stores to get through the winter so um, you can't take everything of course you you need to share with them but um, now 50 to 100 pounds per colony is ideal but last year between four four colonies, three colonies um, that I harvested from, I only got 36 pounds. Hmm. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it. But last year was a really dry year and everybody kind of had poor honey production. So I've seen posts and, and articles and stuff about the impact of pesticides and things like that on the bees. And from your professional Cornell certified opinion. Um, how, how serious is that? Well, I'm not Cornell certified yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm in, in the process, but okay. um, t- to be honest, we haven't covered that t- too much yet. That'll be um, next spring on the Cornell okay. side. So I can't speak as to what, um, to what they're teaching. I can only speak from, other resources and things but the um the pesticides they don't just kill the bees which they do as well but but they also impact um their neurological functions and um so have you heard of the 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 waggle dance where the bees will kind of show the other bees where where flowers and stuff are to go foraged no okay so once a bee finds a particularly good flower patch or food source, she will come back and do a waggle dance, which is um, a way to communicate to the other bees the location of the food source. So depending on the direction that she dances and the speed of her waggles, where she shakes her little butt, tells the other bees exactly how far and what direction to fly. So if she walks, let's say, um, a certain whatever direction she walks forward as she's doing her waggle dance, that's the direction as a bee leaves the hive, that's the direction they need to fly to go towards, um, to go towards the, the food source. And then the amount of waggling that she does is indicative of how long to fly in that direction to get to the forage, to, to the food source. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so when they're impacted by pesticides, their um, waggle dance could either be inaccurate or, or um, not, not quite as um, precise as it needs to be. So she's not able to communicate to the other workers, this is where you need to go. So if she can't communicate this food source to her sisters, then she's not, then they're not going to be able to get, um, you know, all the food that they, that they could potentially get. So um, that's just one of the examples. Um, There's also other, other um, studies on pesticides and their neurological function, but that's probably the only one I I can really speak intelligently on. (laughs) Well, and it, it sounds like it just messes up their calibration. So they're giving <clears throat> wrong directions and then mm-hmm. the bees aren't finding the flowers to get the pollen to come back to make the honey. And then they can see that. And then if the bees die, then flowers don't get pollinated and vegetables right. and fruits. And I mean, it, it made sense to me that um, how essential bees were just in, in studying systems, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, the the smallest cog in the wheel doesn't work it might seem insignificant but oftentimes that has the the biggest impact like i I call it like the 
it's my shoelace theory, right? Like a, you need to ever tie a shoe, like you're late for work and then uh-huh. like you bust, you bust a shoelace. Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> it's the simplest thing, right? Mm-hmm. But then it renders that whole thing ineffective and inoperable. And right. it's just like, there's, there's no way to fix it. Right. It's like, a, right. <laughs> so it, it makes sense to me from a systems perspective that that would have a, a catastrophic effect. Oh yeah. Everything is, it, they all integrate and they all rely on each other. And when you, when one part of it, like you said, when even the smallest cog doesn't work, then it's going to throw the whole system off. Yeah. Unintended consequences, right? Just mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah. Whoever would have thought that the pesticides would affect the little flying critters like that. Right. So with the chickens and the bees, you, you mentioned um, the hobby farm and your blog. Um, what's your, what's your desired audience and what are you trying to do with that? Just kind of um, spread the love of farming, you know, little hobby farms. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily consider myself, you know, the most knowledgeable person out there. There's, there's, um, I'm sure people that know more about all of this stuff than I do, but it's a passion of mine and something that I've been doing for a while and, um, something that I feel like I can, you know, spread the love with other people and, and, um, help other people be successful in their, their hobby farm endeavors. Um, and I really just enjoy meeting new people and networking and, and seeing what kind of, um, setups that other people have. And, and it's, it's something that uh, I find really enjoyable. So, um, you know, I'm, I've got the website and I've got the social media and I'm actually in the process of starting my own podcast as well. So we'll see, um, on that, but, uh, well, thank you. This is actually a huge help. Um, just being on this side of it too, but, um, you know, I, I guess, being somebody that loves to learn, I also conversely love to teach. So anything that I can do to help others and, and make their chicken and beekeeping and otherwise um, dreams come true, you know, I'm, I'm, that's just kind of my, my goal, I guess. Well, and that's, that's how it should be. If you, if you have your, your passion and, you know, I've, I've often thought that if you, chase your passion and you're genuine that you'll get, um, you'll be rewarded and hopefully it's financial. So you can at least, you know, live within your means, but (laughs) it's going to provide a richness to your life that uh, you just normally wouldn't have. Yeah. I've made friends at, at jobs and things like that, but you know, when I'm on the bike, it those that's where those magic moments come in and sure. just having those connections and, and, you know, good on you for, for doing that. I mean, it, it makes the oh, world well, a, a smaller place and it fosters genuine connections and, you know, and I tell you what, there's nothing wrong. Anything that gets anybody outside, um, oh, yeah. something is a positive in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, I think that people um, in general have a pretty, pretty significant disconnect with nature. You know, everybody sits on the other side of, of screens and their cell phones and, and everything. And sometimes you just need to unplug and just go get some darn sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and creating something or cultivating something or, mm-hmm. or keeping something alive. Right. And, right. and just making something out of nothing. Like it, it, I think it's a sense of accomplishment that is um, rarely equaled. Like if you grow something and you cook it and you eat it, it's like, I did that. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a powerful force of nature, which is that I don't think that feeling can be discounted. No, it's, and it's super satisfying, you know, to, like you said, the whole being involved in the whole process, of, you know, gardening, you, got the seeds you planted the seeds you grew the plant you you know gave it water and then you're able to harvest it and then use it to feed your family and and i think that's pretty powerful and one of the things that i noticed especially with beekeeping is you know kind of like we talked earlier you don't really 
I think, realize or stop to think about how everything works together and how, how pivotal everything is. And once you kind of realize, you know, how, how all that stuff plays together, it really makes you more cognizant and not only want to make a change to, to help, you know, hopefully the outcome of the environment, but also the changes within yourself and, and noticing that, you know, even something as simple as the way that you eat can impact you and your hormones and the way that you act and think and sleep and all that stuff. It, it's kind of, um, surprising, I guess it was, that was one of the things I didn't expect when I started beekeeping is it really just opens your eyes to, to this natural world around you that is so easily forgotten. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think if people did this and if they <clears throat> took time to look at the stars and really sort of appreciated our <laughs> true insignificant place in the universe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's, I do that all the time. Actually, I go outside and just, just pause and look up and realize that you are just one itty bitty little speck in this giant galaxy. But you could also make huge impact on, you know, on society as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, as you were talking about the, um, the factory farm conditions and, um, you know, maybe you can't change all of that. Maybe you can't steer an entire industry, but you can impact like one to one or one to three or one to five, you know, make different choices that, you know, are, are better for your body and better for your neighborhood and mm -hmm. better for that environment. And so, you know, you do what you can is I guess what I'm trying to say. And it, 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 it makes a small difference, but you know, point one is still better than zero. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always going to be those industries and they're always going to be supported by, you know, other people. But if you can make even just a small positive impact on yourself, your family, your community, you know, it can really, it can really make a difference. And I feel like if everybody going to that kind of that hive mind or that, that bee colony, if everybody was just to do a little, then there can be a lot of great things that come out of it. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It's pretty uh, philosophical and existential for <laughs> chickens, Nicole. I'm, <laughs> I'm so pleasantly surprised by this. <laughs> so um, firefighting, take me through that. How long have you been with the department? So I've been with them for about eight and a half years now. So realistically, the better part of my adulthood. <laughs> wow. And was it a childhood thing or was, how did you get into it? No, it actually um, was completely unplanned. Uh, I used to live in Wyoming. And fun fact, Wyoming can be kind of boring sometimes, and there's not always <laughs> a whole lot to do out there. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you knew that, but... Um, I love it, though. I've, been, I've done the Laramie oh, yeah. Enduro a couple of times, and Vetavu. That's where I lived, was Laramie. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. That's yep. beautiful. Yep. Oh. Yes, I agree. There's, there's a part of me that misses it sometimes. So I actually started volunteering at the Vetavu Fire Department up there. It kind of gave me something to do so that's funny I usually don't use the fire department name because people are like where but <laughs> so it's a beautiful um, park by the way Vetavu National Forest yes incredible yes it's definitely one of the most beautiful places I've been and um, I used to do a lot of rock climbing and stuff I never climbed in Vetavu but um, even with all the different places I've been climbing Vetavu is definitely one of my one of my favorites definitely a, a hidden Jim. Um, so I started volunteering at the fire department up there and series of life events happened. So I ended up moving back to uh, Colorado, which is where I'm from originally. And I started volunteering at the, at the fire department that I'm at now and volunteer job was, you know, interesting and I enjoyed it and it, worked its way into a full-time career. So now I'm a 
career paramedic and and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how those life events uh, happen, right? Yeah. Yep. Snowball <laughs> effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what's that bar in Laramie that's got the bullet hole in the mirror? Oh, uh, the uh, Buckhorn? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <clears throat> that would always be our, our go-to. We'd start there after the ride and then then just go find the most uh, unhealthy um, items we could and just followed by just a bunch of beer. After yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. I keep threatening to go back and just, I would love to go ride. Um, is, is it Vitavu, Vetavu? How do you say it properly? What's local? Well, I don't know what, what proper or local is, but I, <laughs> I always called it Vitavu. Vitavu. Yeah. I'd love to go back and see that. Cause that was like the last part of that ride. And I think it was a, uh, was it 111 K hundred K mountain bike race. And so I'd love to see that when I'm not, um, not wanting to be on a bike anymore. Sure. (laughs) Where all, what does that, does that race encompass then? Does it start? Is that the one that does like Fort Collins or something too? No, it doesn't go that far. It's all kind of like the, all the fire roads that link all the state parks or national parks up around near Laramie. Oh, okay. So in the course has changed over the years, but, um, we'd stay in that, uh, that super eight there and then we'd drive out and I forget it was like a campground out there, but then we'd just do some single track and then fire road there. And just, man, like parts of it were just those gorgeous rocks in, mm-hmm. um, Vita Vu. And then there are parts that, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would think I was on the surface of the moon. Oh yeah. But <laughs> It was always at the end of it, you know, I, I would never, the first time I did it, I was like, I'm not ever going to do this again. And then within the hour, just you get some food, you get off the bike and, and then think about it. And it's just like, that's, yeah, it's amazing. So it's been a long time since I've done it, but I need to get back there and, and go visit at least for the weekend or go hang yeah. out. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I'm, I'm excited that, uh, you found a a career and, you know, being a paramedic that you enjoy, you know, I, I've searched, I've had several jobs in my life and, you know, so it's nice that you've found something that, uh, that you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been good. It's gotten me to where I am now and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And if it wasn't for, for, you know, the way that, um, things played out and and being on the fire department then I wouldn't have had a lot of the experiences and I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to buy my house and you know be like a full-blown adult with with the house and cars and all that good stuff well and I like that you you know I I know the firefighter schedule there's probably a lot of sitting around and then there's moments of just you know panic and no, not panic, but you know, hyper-focused activity. I'll say that because you know, panic is if you're unprepared. And I think the last thing that firefighters are unprepared, but I I like that you spun your idle time into something else that enriches your life. And I think that's, that's just a, that's a cool thing to hear is, you know, you have a choice between television or, you know, raising chickens or television, raising bees and, you know, it's, that's something that as I've gotten older, I've looked to, you know, what's, what is going to enrich my life? And it doesn't always have to be something major, but you have a choice and you can make a a different choice with your existence. And that's, I I like hearing that. That's really cool. Thanks. I, uh, I have a hard time not being productive and, and it, and it drives me crazy when I see people that just my perception of it is just wasting away. You know, they go to work and then they come home and do it all over again when, you know, there's so much more to life and, and, but you have to go after it. And if you, if you don't, then life's going to be kind of boring and, and um, unsatisfying, but to each their own. And if that's what makes other people happy, then, then that's what's important. But um, it's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I had a date a couple of years ago that was like, she couldn't get over the fact that I have a cabinet door in the kitchen that has a busted hinge. (laughs) 
it'll close right i just have to kind of finagle it and she was kind of lighting me up about it or just like maybe just couldn't comprehend and and i was like yeah but like i learned how to remove backgrounds in photoshop and i recorded a podcast and then i closed this deal and like i see that there but it's not important right right doesn't matter and i get immediately suspicious of people with perfect houses anyway yeah that's true (laughs) well nicole this has been great and uh i'm so happy we've got the the pueblo connection yeah um, small world (laughs) yeah totally and i've got to come down there i've got a i grew up there and um i need to come ride the reservoir and come have some honey and yeah eat some eggs and just hang out and drink a couple beers with you but of course i just i love your enthusiasm about it and you're just i can tell when somebody is is passionate about something and that's what i'm drawn to even something i have no idea about and that just that just shines through and it's really cool to hear well thank you i i enjoy sharing all that good stuff with others so yeah and any questions about your podcast let me know i can save you tons of frustration and tons of time with it and uh, would be happy to help you out any way that i can well thank you i appreciate that i'll i'll definitely be sending you an email after this (laughs) (laughs) sure thing um where can people find you and the bees and the chickens So they can find me on their choice of social media outlets. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram predominantly. Those are the two. Um, I I have a Twitter and stuff, but I don't use it. But uh, (laughs) on Facebook and Instagram, both places, it's just at Heritage Acres Market. You can also find me online at heritageacresmarket.com. And then um, my future podcast, which is currently named Backyard Bounty. And mm. um, so, yeah. Or email me. They can always email me, Nicole at HeritageAcresMarket.com. Cool. <clears throat> and I always put all the links to that in the, in the show notes. And Perfect. Cool. Well, awesome. Um, I'm so glad we, we got connected and, yeah, me and too. took the time. This is very enjoyable. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate it, and I enjoy I enjoy talking chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel so much more educated now, and that's I, I, I love to learn as well. And so it was fascinating. So, thanks, cool. Nicole. Of course, thank you. <laughs>